Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Good to be with you this morning. I see a couple of newer faces. Welcome. Glad that you guys are here. Uh, If you are here for the first time, this will be new news to you, but we are in the middle of a sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and uh, it's been so good. I'm so excited about it, and I'm really excited because this morning, we're going to be learning directly from Jesus, and uh, usually for those of us that call uh, Jesus Lord, we learn from his you know, his teachings and um, kind of his commands and the the calling on our lives. But today we're going to look at Jesus's example and how he lives. And he's the perfect one to look at as an example for us, because A, uh, you know that he was perfectly human. He was completely and fully us. But at the same time, he also designed you and I, right? He was our creator. And as God, Jesus was perfectly godly in every uh, human interaction that he had, right? And so he, for us, would be a great example. Excuse me. It's okay. Hopefully the bag doesn't pop open or something like that. And I think, you guys, that we really need to learn from his example, Desperately, actually, we need to learn from his example. And the reason is, is because of what it is that we have and what it is that he offers to us. And so what is it that we have? Well, I just want to say this morning that I think we have burdens, right? We have burdens. We carry heavy loads. And what does Jesus have for us? Well, he has freedom for us. He has joy. He has peace. And he has a way of living that lifts those burdens off of us. And and here's the thing, you guys. One of the things that, that I've noticed is that we don't live alone in the world, do we? Some of us might wish that we we did live alone in the world, but we are stuck here in the Chicago suburbs with uh, literally millions of people around us, right? And so while it might be easier to live alone and never to interact with people, we live with people all the time, and we are constantly living under the burden of a million people's expectations and requests and pulls on our lives, right? And and so we, uh, we kind of come under that, but Jesus came to us and he said, listen, you guys, come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Come and learn from me. Here's what he actually said in Matthew 11, 28. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I'm going to get rid of this thing. (laughs) All right. It's good to get rid of a burden, isn't it? Let's do that this morning. So, what's a yoke, right? Well, a yoke, I don't know if we have a picture of it or not, but a yoke, you guys probably know if you've been in church for a while, a yoke is this big wooden thing. We don't use them in our lives. Is any farmers in the house? No. Okay. So, a yoke is this big wooden thing that um, they would put on the backs of oxen, and the point of it was to keep the oxen in step with each other, right? It was to keep them sort of walking uh, of one accord, and so the application to this verse 
uh, in Matthew is very, very obvious. And in some ways, it just blows my mind because what Jesus says to us is, yoke yourself to me. Yoke yourself to me. Learn from me. Do life with me and do life in the way that I do it. Now, does it ever, like, have you ever thought about just how mind-blowing it is that God would say, I want to be yoked to you? That I want to be yoked to you. I want to do my life with you. And I want you to do your life with me. It's the most incredible thing in the world. And so he's inviting us to keep in step with him and to do life with him in the way that he does it. But the problem, church, is this. You're already yoked. Every one of you, you are already yoked. You're yoked to the formation and the malformation of your history up until this moment. You're yoked to people around you. You're yoked to the family of your family of origin. You're yoked to the family that you now have. And maybe if you think about it, you might realize that you are yoked to tens of thousands of expectations that have been laid upon you since the moment you walked till the time that you sat down in the seats that you were sitting in. We We are all yoked to the spoken and unspoken demands that come from a world that constantly wants something from us. They want you. They want your attention. They want your behavior. They want your time, your energy, your money, your political allegiance, right? People are always trying to throw their yokes on us. And if we were honest... We could say, well, we're always trying to throw our yokes on them as well, right? Make me happy. Make me secure. Do what I'm doing. Think like I do, right? We are constantly throwing our yoke on one another. And more often than not, we generally just acquiesce to the yokes that people throw on us. We dutifully fall in line whether we've agreed to carry their yoke for them or not. And here's what makes it even a little bit tougher for us Christians is that generally I would hope to be able to say that us Christians, we are a kinder bunch. Hopefully we are a more loving and sacrificial bunch. And so generally we are a people that are willing to carry other people's burdens. And somewhere along the line, somebody probably taught us that if you're a Christian, you have to be nice. You have to be nice. And if you're nice, it's not nice to say no to people, is it? Right? And so we've been, we've been taught and we've learned that we can't say no to people. Um, and I've learned over the year, over my years in ministry, I've been doing ministry for 20 years now. And one of the things that I've learned is that I deeply, deeply crave people's acceptance. I do. I am a little bit codependent. As a matter of fact, one of the things that they say is that all pastors are codependent people pleasers. And I don't know if that's true, but I can tell you for sure we are all on the spectrum. Every one of us. And you guys might be too. And I have to say though, that there's, there's a benefit to being a people pleaser. There's a benefit to it. And the benefit is this. The benefit to being a people pleaser is that generally people like to be around you, right? Because we like to be around people who do us favors, who do what we ask. And so it's easy to sort of gather people around us. We have a lot of favor with people when we overfunction. We have a lot of favor with people when we do, when we go beyond what is comfortable for us to serve others. The problem with that is, is this, and you know this, and that is that it's just exhausting. 
It's exhausting to be a people pleaser. It's exhausting to have people throwing their yoke on us all the time and for us to accept that. But we've been tricked into thinking that taking every, you know, every person's burden that wants to throw a burden on us, that that's godly. But the amazing thing is, is it turns out that it might be even more godly not to accept that burden. And that brings us to Jesus, okay? Jesus, amazingly, as human, he lived this rhythm of life that kept him, not only it kept him free from burnout, but his rhythm of life kept him full of God. He was constantly full of the presence of God. He was constantly full of God's grace and his love and his power and his strength. And so Jesus lived this life where he was able to see clearly what he was called to and what he was made for. But because he was so full of the presence of God, he was also able to take detours all the time. You saw in Jesus' life where someone would come up and Jesus was doing one thing and then someone would come up and he had the grace and the abundance and the ability to be able to to step aside and to minister to that person. Why? Because his heart was full. And so what I want to talk about, you guys, is I want to talk about how Jesus was able to stay both defined in himself and at the same time he was able to be connected to other people. And so the question is, is how did Jesus do life? How did Jesus like do people? How did he do relationships, right? Well, I want to say this. I want to share with you guys something that we've been learning in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and something that Molly and I have been learning in another thing that we've been up to. But Jesus was what they call, he was uh, differentiated. Okay, so that's a term that, that psychologists use and counselors use. Jesus was the most differentiated person to ever live. And differentiation really is, it's sort of synonymous with emotional and spiritual maturity. Emotional and spiritual health. Okay, and so Jesus obviously as fully human and fully God, he was the most emotionally and spiritually healthy person to ever live. And so we're looking to him for our example. Okay, so what is differentiation? This is what I'm talking about. Differentiation of self refers to an individual who is able to be clearly defined in their beliefs, in their values, and their convictions. And, and this is really important, they're clear on their beliefs, their values, and their convictions. But, in addition to that, they're able to live into those beliefs, values, and convictions with a high level of integrity, even when the heat gets turned up, even when they're experiencing moments of high anxiety, right? And so listen, the differentiated person or an emotionally mature person is able to say, listen, this is what I think, this is what I believe, this is what I feel, this is what I want, this is what I plan to do. And they can do that even in moments in places of high stress or high anxiety, right? And so people with diff- that are differentiated, people that are emotionally secure, emotionally mature, people that are like Jesus are able to both be defined and at the same time they're able to connect deeply with other people even if the person that they're with does not share their beliefs, their values, or their convictions. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? Okay, so we're going to go for this a little bit here. So, let's talk about Jesus. Um, 
I was, I was just thinking and daydreaming this week about what it must have been like for the 12 uh, disciples to be able to do life with Jesus, right? And of course, they got to see him do the miracles, and they got to see him uh, preach these incredible sermons, but they also got to just watch Jesus live as a human being. And I would imagine that literally every day, Jesus would do something in his daily living that would just kind of make them go, wow, that's really different. Like, the way that Jesus lives, I don't see that with other people. I don't see people doing what Jesus is doing, right? They must have been constantly, like, blown away or taken aback or like, wow, that's that's just really different what you did right there, right? So what is it that Jesus did? I want to do this for the rest of the time. I'm going to share with you just a few things that we see in the life of Jesus um, that, the, that the disciples noticed that energized Jesus and gave him the ability to live a different kind of life and a freer kind of life, okay? So the first one is this. The first thing that the disciples probably noticed is that more than anyone they had ever met in their lives, Jesus knew who he was and he knew whose he was. This was the defining characteristic of Jesus. And I believe that this part was what energized Jesus for the rest of his ministry. Jesus knew who he was and he knew at the same time whose he was. And so for Jesus, his identity as the son of his Abba Father was profound in his life. It was defining for him. And so uh, in the we're going to be kicking around the, the Gospel of John for quite a bit of our time together. But listen to what Jesus said in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 10. He said this. The works that I do in my Father's name, by the way, uh, for most of the time when, when I'm going to be reading out of the Gospel of John, Jesus will be talking to a large crowd, not just the twelve, but he'll be talking to a large crowd, some unbelievers, he'll be talking to Pharisees, so the general, this is like general populist stuff that he's talking to, or, you know, the people he's talking to. So in John 10 he says this, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And here's the key. I and the father are one. And if you've ever had anybody question whether or not Jesus explicitly stated that he is God, here it is right here. Because immediately after saying, I and the Father are one, they immediately picked up stones to to stone him to death, right? He just said it right there. But Jesus knew who he was, and he knew whose he was, and he regularly heard the voice of his heavenly Father ringing in his ears, And what did the father say? This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Jesus lived this life of absolute security in his identity as the son of God. He didn't doubt. He wasn't insecure about it, right? And so he brought that security of his identity into every human interaction that he had. And when we yoke ourselves to Jesus or we allow Jesus to yoke himself to us, the invitation is that we would too become utterly and completely secure in our identity as children of God. That we would know through and through who we are 
and whose we are because that will define how we do relationships after that. No more pulling from other people. Does that make sense? Okay. Secondly, what we see is that the disciples probably noticed that Jesus was ultra clear about uh, who uh, he came to please and who's, who he came to honor. Jesus was completely clear about who he was wanting to please and who he was wanting to honor. And so this actually sort of paints a context for some verses that I'd read many times and didn't totally understand. Sorry, i got to get my Duncan. So, he said this. No one can serve two masters. No one. Either they'll hate the one and love the other, or they'll be devoted to one and despise the other, right? No one can serve two masters. Jesus could not serve two masters. Secondly, he says this in John chapter 5. He said, now listen, this is so antithetical to being human. He said this, I do not accept glory from human beings. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of, the, of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe, since you accept the glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? You seek the glory from one another. This is such a powerful countercultural statement. It's so far from how we often live. He says, I don't accept glory from human beings. I don't want their approval. I don't need their approval. And how can you believe since you're constantly living for the acceptance and the honor and the approval of other people? And one of the things that made Jesus so different is that he lived for the glory and the honor of only one. And that was his heavenly father. And what makes Jesus so different from all of us is that because he was living for a singular honor and glory towards God, um, he lived without being enslaved and ensnared to people all around him. And because you and I aren't as free as he was... We can get exhausted trying to pull acceptance and pull approval and pull honor from other people. And that stuff enslaves. And it wearies us and it tires us out. But doing life Jesus' way sets us free. It empowers us. It energizes us. It's a completely different way of living. And so the question I want to ask you, and I want you to just kind of hold a mirror up to your heart and a mirror up to your thinking, is, and I want to ask you, how many masters do you have? How many people in your life are you trying to please? To whom are you looking for approval in your life? Who has gotten to throw their yoke onto your back? How many yokes do we carry? Because we cannot serve two masters. And so Jesus freed himself from the burden of having to please people. He said, I don't even want to. I don't want your approval. I don't want your honor. I don't need it. He lived for the glory of one, his heavenly father. Number three, the disciples were probably in awe because Jesus knew, and this is a little bit tricky. You're going you're gonna to have to track with my language here, but he knew who he was responsible to. And he knew who he was responsible for. Jesus knew who he was responsible to and who he was responsible for. Who was Jesus responsible to? Who? His father. 
He was only responsible to his heavenly, his heavenly father. He owed no one else anything, right? He knew who he was responsible to, but he also knew to whom and for what he was, he was responsible for. In other words, Jesus was clear on his mission. He knew why he existed. He knew why he was on planet earth. He came to reconcile the world to God. That was his mission. And he knew who he was responsible for. And generally, Jesus' scope of responsibility was very narrow. Most of the time. Who did Jesus take responsibility for? Mostly, it was for the 12, right? He took responsibility for these 12 men, and he did life with them, and he went deep with them. That was generally the case. Now, occasionally... By choice, Jesus would choose to take responsibility for larger groups of people or other groups of people. So if you recall, there was a moment in Jesus's ministry where he was preaching and he went long into the day and there were huge crowds of people there, right? Five to maybe 8,000, 10,000 people and the people were getting hungry. And so what did Jesus decide to do? He said, you know what? These guys are getting hungry. I'm going to take responsibility for getting them fed. And so he chose to do that and he fed all those people. But did he provide breakfast the next day? Did he provide dinner the day after that? No, he didn't, right? He wouldn't, he wouldn't give himself for that, but he did it on that day. Towards the end of Jesus' life on earth, this is so, this is so profound. He said to the Lord, I have not lost one of those that you have given me. And what Jesus was saying is that you, Father, have entrusted the world to me and I came to save the lost and I have not lost a single one that you have given me to save. He took responsibility for all of our salvation for anyone who would believe. He said, I will provide a way for you to be reconciled to God. I will provide a way for you to have eternal life with God. And I just want to say to you that if there is any person in this room or at home that you have not given your life fully to Jesus, if you don't know what your future is, if you don't know where you'll spend eternity, I want you to know that Jesus said, I have taken responsibility for your salvation. Come to me, believe in me, follow me, and you will inherit eternal life. But mostly, Jesus took responsibility for this small group of people, these 12 men who followed him. And I want to ask you guys the question, um, who are you taking responsibility for? How many people in your life? Because Jesus said no a lot. He answered to only one, his father, and he said no a lot in his ministry. Jesus said over and over again, I only do what I see the father doing. I only do what I see the father doing. You know what that means? It means that he said no all the time. That he said no to opportunities all the time. Why? Because he was only responsible to one, to his heavenly father. And he was not responsible for the people of every single town. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus inaugurated his ministry by um, ministering in a town called Capernaum, right? And he began to teach there, and then people began to bring their sick to him, and he started to heal the sick, and he started to cast out demons, and he was rocking the town of Capernaum. And so they spent a full day there and they went to bed and the next morning uh, so you know the disciples said hey man they want us to stay for an extra day we should totally do this there's a lot of favor here and what do you remember what Jesus said I'm out I'm not staying around here God has called me to the other towns as well right why would he do that why would he say no because he had one responsibility to his heavenly father and he didn't take responsibility for the town of Capernaum for the rest of his life and so the question I want to ask you guys is, is are you clear about who you're responsible to. 
Are you clear about who you are responsible for? And you may decide that there's only a few people in your life that you're responsible to. I'm only responsible to my heavenly father. I'm only responsible to my wife. I'm only responsible to my kids. If, if you're at work, you may decide, hey, I'm responsible for this team that I oversee. If you have a, a Thrive group here at church, you may say, I'm taking responsibility for the people in my group. I'm taking responsibility to care for them and to cheer them on and to pray for them and to be a resource for them. But I don't take responsibility for everybody. And I don't take responsibility for every single person that wants something from me. You guys with me on that? Does that make sense? So, um, here's, here's something that always kind of like confused me a little bit, but it's another great example of how Jesus lived this out. Uh, you might recall, if you, if you know the scripture, that there was a moment in Jesus' ministry where he was in a house, and he was just doing his teaching and healing thing, his ministry thing, and while he was there, uh, they, they had gone past, like it seems like Jesus regularly skipped meals, I need to learn how to do that, but it seems like Jesus regularly skipped meals for ministry, right? And so he's there ministering and they blow right past dinner and his family hears about it and they're like, we need to go rescue Jesus because he is going off his rocker, right? And so here's what it says in Mark chapter 3 verse 20. It says, then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. They went to take charge of God. Okay, see how that works, right? So his family went to take charge of him, for they said he's out of his mind. And then dropping down to verse 31, it says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And then he says this in verse 33, who are my mother and brothers, he asked. And he looked at those seated in the circle around me and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. In other words, even with his own family, Jesus didn't let mom and brothers control him or define him. He lovingly and graciously said no to their intervention. And this is actually a great example for any of us who have family that are over-functioning, that are pulling on us, right? Jesus would not even allow his own mother to keep him from the one call that was on his life. He knew who he was responsible to, and he knew who he was responsible for. We're on to our last one. Fourthly, the disciples were probably amazed and marveled because Jesus used his power to choose. Jesus used his power to choose. He didn't have to do anything. And that's really different from us, right? Because so often we get ourselves into situations where we feel like we have no choice, where we have to do this. I love how in John 10, Jesus said this, no one can take my life from me. No one. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. And I was reading this week um, 
towards the end of Jesus' life, and we'll probably be reading this as we get on closer to Easter, but when Jesus was arrested, uh, and he was in the process of dealing with Pontius Pilate, right? So Pilate was the, the Roman governor at that time, and Pilate was grilling Jesus, and really what Pilate was trying to do is he was trying to get Jesus off of this death, death sentence, right? And so Pilate, Jesus just isn't playing with Pilate. He's not playing ball with him. And, uh, and Pilate finally, very exasperated, he said, don't you know that I have the power of life or death over you? You know what Jesus said? I hate to break it to you, man. You have no such power. None whatsoever. I am here by my own choice. Jesus knew that he had the power to choose. And what that meant is, and this is really cool, what that meant was is that every time Jesus did something, he was fully vested. He was fully present in his yes. And for us, so often in life, we feel like we don't have the power to choose. We feel like we don't have options. But we always do. We always have the power to choose how we will respond, how we will react, react, how we will deal with things, people, and events in our lives. And I want to be honest with you guys. I spent years going around thinking, you made me do this. I spent so much time blaming Molly for so much of my stuff when it was really just my stuff, right? You made me respond that way. You made me angry. I wouldn't have done this if it weren't for you. That's just powerlessness. And that is unbiblical and it is unchristlike. It's nothing like Jesus. Or just a different example. Have you ever said yes when you really meant no in your heart? Have you ever agreed to do something, but you were resentful about doing it, or you were even resentful that they asked, and it's like, you put me in a bad spot, and now I have to do this thing, because I can't say no, right? Living that way always ends up leaving us frustrated and depleted, right? Uh, Or worse, we end up doing things. Now listen, We can end up doing things that we shouldn't do at the cost and at the expense of the things that we're created to do, the things that we're called to do. But Jesus shows us that we have the power and the opportunity to to show up in a way that lines up with our God-given values and our priorities. Remember what we said, right? This is what, these are my beliefs. These are my values. These are my convictions. This is what I think. This is what I plan to do. This is what I'll do. And so how do we do this? How can we uh, uh, show up in a way that lines up with the call that's on our lives, that lines up with our priorities and our values and our, and our convictions? Well, Jesus has this really, really great life hack for us that we could apply. Here's Jesus' trick. He said this, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. That's a little strong, but we should explore that. Okay, let your yes be yes and our no be no. Can we do that? Can we even do that, you guys? Instead of feeling hooked all the time by people's expectations, instead of giving a grudging yes with resentment towards a person that doesn't deserve our resentment, can we just let our yes be yes and our no be no? Yes, we can. We can give a a, a, a no strings attached, full yes, a yes with gusto, a yes and an amen. I am fully with you in this moment. 
We can let our yeses be real yeses. And possibly even more gloriously, we can give real noes, right? We can say no to people. When somebody makes a request or puts an expectation on us, we could graciously and lovingly, like Jesus, say, I'm really sorry. I can't do that. I have some other priorities in my life that are really important that I'm working on, and I will not be able to do that, right? And when we look at people and we say no, we actually train them to honor our boundaries, right? And so I want us to look at at how Jesus lived, and I want us to learn how to carry only the burden that comes from God, because it is a lighter burden. So let me circle back up, kind of concluding here, okay? What does it mean to be yoked to Jesus? What does it mean to do life like Jesus? It's amazing, first of all, that he would want to yoke his life to you. But here's what it means. First of all, one, one thing that we see from Jesus he, is he knew who he was, and he knew whose he was. And by the way, the way that I would encourage you guys to apply this is I would, you know, just ask you to like ponder one of these or each of these in your own quiet time and find out, Lord, where am I at with this? Do I get who I am? Do I get who you are in my identity with you? Um, so he knew who, who he was and he knew whose he was. Secondly, Jesus knew who he came to please and who he came to honor. Thirdly, Jesus knew who he was responsible to And he knew who he was responsible for. And finally, Jesus used his power to choose. And we can too. So here's our verse again. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You carry my burden. I'm good. Thanks. (laughs) 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 Okay. Thanks, Kev. All right. And so, as I think about what Jesus offered to us, and I think about how he lived his life, I get it more clearly now. And I hope that you can get it more clearly because there's freedom in yoking ourselves to Jesus. There's freedom in that way of living. Amen?